Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's a deep dive Wednesday. We're going to look at the money down, third down, and also resilience in the face of adversity. And we'll quantify Christian Wilkins' third season production. Plus, we'll play a segment from the postgame show if we have time. And we'll hear from the coordinators and their Tuesday media availability from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. We are presented by AutoNation, and we're going to dive right into this story that I wrote for MiamiDolphins.com on the top news story on Tuesday. We do top news every Tuesday and Friday here uh, on MiamiDolphins.com, and usually the Tuesday piece kind of coincides with the podcast and gives us a chance to look at something outside the framework of what happened in the previous game or the upcoming game and just kind of give us a general bird's eye view of something that I personally find interesting. If you ever have any ideas for the Deep Dive Wednesday that you want me to look into, send me your ideas on Twitter at WingfieldNFL and I'll see what you guys got and see if it jives with what I want to do for the podcast. But you guys are the podcast as well, so I want to hear from you and get your input on this. But today we're talking about third down. And it's called the money down for a reason. The outcomes of third downs have the third biggest swing in win probability than any play in football. The other two, of course, turnovers and scoring plays. But turnovers and scoring plays make up for eight, nine, ten plays a game, where third down snaps are roughly 30 plays per game on average. It's a 60-minute collection on those third down plays of these mini battles within the game to determine the ultimate victor of the quote-unquote war. And I hate using war as an analogy in football, but you get what I'm saying. Thus the money down, where players and coaches really earn their salt, where complimentary football is magnified. You convert on third down. That helps keep the defense fresh. It helps keep your special teams kind of gearing up, ready to go. It just helps everything. And defensively, it gets your punt return team on the field. It gets your offense ready and back on the field for the ensuing drive. So it's very complimentary when you can execute on third down, both offensively and defensively. Now, not been our year defensively in this regard. Last year certainly was, and you saw the impact that had, and how Miami was able to become victorious in 10 of their 16 football games, due in large part to the defense finding a way to get so many stops on third down. We, we had games last year where the, oppo- the opposition had like one or two conversions. I'm thinking about the Jets game, for instance. I think it took them to the fourth quarter to convert a third down in a couple of those games against the Jets last year. But back to the offense, Miami's third down production this year has increased exponentially over the last two weeks from 35.4% in weeks one through five up to 64.3% in weeks six and seven. So I asked coach Eric Studisville, the co-offensive coordinator here in Miami about the uptick and no, this is not Ehrlich Bachman taking the uptick from Jared's indiscretions going behind Richard's back to pay for a click farm to give him the uptick. We're talking about real substantial production here. So I asked Coach about the uptick and what they can attribute to that production. Here is Coach Studisville on Miami's increased third down performance the last couple of weeks. Well, I hope it's uh, an increased emphasis in it, you know, which we're talking about all the time. You know, Coach 
talks about that with the team, that that's an important situational football um, parameter for us to address. So we constantly talk about that. He talks about it. He addresses it. We spend a lot of time on third down talking about what we want to execute, how we want to do things on third down. And I think then it goes, it becomes a credit to the players where they're studying it and buying in and they're executing them when we call those things. So I think it's a, it's a whole philosophy that starts with flow all the way down to everybody that, hey, we understand the importance of that third down situation and we have to be better to be able to stay on the field, to get more plays, to continue drives. So there you go. You have them talking about the complimentary aspect there. Staying on the field helps your defense, helps your special teams when you can do that as an offense. If you have the football, they're not going to put points on the board, right? Unless they pick six or scoop and score you. But how often does that happen? So, and just a quick aside here on that Coach Studisville commentary. He also was asked about the running game and he talked about how they want to be efficient and effective. And he complimented the offensive line and the tight ends. But where I found Coach's comments interesting was he talked about the running back position and how at times he thought they ran it well, but he thought it was too inconsistent and guys missing cuts or missing gaps and leaving meat on the bone in the running game. We talk about the force missed tackles and the yards after contact average here on the podcast every single Tuesday when we do the PFF and next gen stats rundown. And yeah, I mean, the, the numbers back up the film and back up what coach says there about how I do believe there are more yards to be had in the running game from the running back. So interesting comment there. But back to the third down conversion stuff. That third down conversion rate in weeks six and seven ranks second in the National Football League over that span among teams who played two games. There's a couple of teams, I think the Jets and uh, the Bills are ahead of Miami, but they both played one game over that stretch of time in terms of uh, the, the two-week span. Arizona is the only team that has a better third down conversion rate among teams that played both weeks than Miami. And quarterback Tua Tungavailoa has been especially sharp on the money down. He's completed 16 of 23 third down passes for 173 yards, a touchdown pass, and 13 total conversions, two of those with his legs since he came back off the injured reserve. And the average distance to gain on those third downs, it's not cheap, 7.2 yards. So 13 conversions out of 23 from the quarterback position with an average of 7.2 yards. That takes away your third and one conversion from Jacoby Brissett. I think there was a third and one conversion from Malcolm Brown two weeks ago. There was a third and two conversion from Savon Ahmed this week. So strictly in the passing numbers, that's what you get. 7.2 yards to go and you're over 50%. If you look at league averages, third and seven or longer is well below 40%. So Tua playing about 15% above board with third down conversions over the last two weeks compared to the average across the league based upon distance to gain was that way too much info I hope it made sense other teams convert third and seven plus or the average in the NFL and third and seven plus is about 35 40 percent the last two weeks for Miami the passing game third and seven plus about 55 percent so not a bad place to be and so I wanted to go through and chart all those dropbacks from Tua Tungavailoa 23 in total here and I charted the result of all of them, whether it was a pressure, a hurry, or a hit, whether the pass was completed, whether or not they converted the first down, and how many yards they had to gain. I'm not going to go through the results of all 23 individual plays there, but I'll give you the cumulative results here. 15 total pressures on those 23 dropbacks. No sacks, so that's great. No third down sacks. Six QB hits on the 23 dropbacks. So one of every four, he gets hit, and about, oh gosh, math, um... A little over half the time he's pressured. So when he's pressured, he's 9 for 12 on these third down looks. 
an 8-for-15 conversion, because the three rush attempts, two of them were converted, one of them was not, but 8-for-15 with an average distance of 6.22 yards. That's right about in that 40-45% conversion range rate across the league, and the Dolphins are over 50% once again in that regard. When he's not pressured, 5-for-8 completion, 4-for-8 conversions. Now that's only 50%, obviously, but the average distance... 7.5 yards. So once again, well above board as far as average conversion rate across the National Football League. And then when the uh, when when he's hit, when he's hit back there. Sorry, I'm trying to read some stuff here, numbers, and it doesn't go very well for your boy when I do both those things together. But four for seven converting when he's hit on third downs with an average distance of 6.14 yards. So it's been good regardless of, of distance to gain. If the early down success is not there, they still have a fighting chance to convert. And this goes back to what we talk about all the time, right, on this podcast, Locked on Dolphins and everything I've done in my football career so far, or I guess media, football, analyst career. Every time you watch a quarterback, the most if you're trying to evaluate the talent, the tape you look at, the reel you look at is third and six plus. And what I just told you is that third and six plus is when two has kind of been at his best on top of the fact that we don't really talk about him ever missing layups. So those two things working together to me paint a very positive picture. And to kind of piggyback off that point, what is third and long? It's adversity, right? It's a tough situation. The team has to put their best forward or their best foot forward to get a completion, to get a conversion and keep their offense on the field. It's the big moment in the game that requires your focus and execution in a difficult spot. And so I wanted to look at some of the factors that contribute to being a resilient player or team. And the, I was looking at the volatility of third down production as one of the key factors for teams across the league that contributes to the ups and downs of an NFL season. Cause every team has them for the most part, right? Like even the chiefs right now, personally, I would never worry if I was the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes and the skill players they have on offense, regardless of how the defense is playing, regardless of how, you know, protection can have breakdowns, whatever the case may be. I just wouldn't worry about it because I I think I I know they're going to be okay come January. But look at the the valley they're in right now compared to the peaks they've been enjoying all the Patrick Mahomes era. It's true for every team. Every Super Bowl champion can look back to a certain stretch of the season where they were not thought of as a Super Bowl team at that time. Go back to the Bucks last year, a perfect example of that, or a lot of the Patriots rings even. I mean, some of them were, were dominant throughout, but some of the Patriots rings you look back and it's like they, they had some struggles there at certain moments of the season. Like their, I think their second ring in 2003 was the famous Lawyer Malloy release, and then he goes to Buffalo and they beat him by like 34 points on opening day, and then New England lost like one more game the rest of the way. The point is... You're going to have peaks and valleys in the season. And one of the biggest contributing factors to that is your third down conversion rate. So I looked at a team who has the most unique four-week experience (laughs) in the National Football League right now, the Tennessee Titans, who over that four-week span, they've had a buy, or no, they beat the Jacksonville Jaguars in there, but they beat the Chiefs and the Bills and lost to the New York Jets, who are one and six. But taking out both of last year's AFC Championship contend or you know representatives, and the biggest difference there: third down production. They were twelve for twenty-five on third downs in the two victories, fifty-five percent, and just five for nineteen in the loss to the Jets, twenty-six percent. So more than double their production there on third downs. So you consider the perception of the Titans in the eyes of fans and media and public and you know national perception after that Week Five loss. That this team can't go anywhere, right? Because they lost to a bad football team. But the only way to flip that script 
was to perform against that adversity and just basically say, we don't care what your power rankings, what your talking points on talk shows are. We have to go out and accomplish on the football field what we think is true, that we are a contender. And they did. They beat Kansas City and Buffalo. And that brings us back to the, where the tangent takes us back to Miami, who have endured plenty of in-game affliction this season, but have responded to give the team an opportunity to snatch victory, even though they did not snatch said victory. The roadblock for Miami these last two weeks has been the turnover, and to stretch it further, including the week one interception, Tua Tungavailoa has been picked off three times in the second half this season. Three of his four picks have been in the second half of games. And head coach Brian Flores said he likes the way his quarterback, and in this particular question, Durham Smythe as well, responded to the turnover on Sunday against Atlanta. And we played it on the show for you yesterday, so I won't play it again, but I'll tell you what he said. He says he, he thinks Tua wishes he had that one back, and Durham does as well. But when you look at it that way, there are some other places we could have gone with the football. What I like most about that was Tua's response, Durham's response, and being able to turn it around and create some positive plays after that mishap, end quote. Following the three second-half interceptions this season, and this came from at VBS uh, Sports on Twitter, I believe is his name, Tungavailoa has completed 21 of 24 passes for 246 yards, three touchdowns, and a passer rating of 149 after the pick in the second half in three games. And the three passes that were incomplete were drops from pro football focus. <laughs> but what I mean yeah so while the turnaround hasn't impacted the win column it's a positive sign moving forward and one more stat before I flip it over to the other side of the football and talk some defense here I saw Chris Kaufman you guys know who he is pull this up he's at CK Parrot on Twitter he did a stat head search which is what I used also so good company there to find out that Tunga Bailoa was the highest rated passer in the fourth quarter in the NFL from 1994 through 2021, current date, minimum 90 attempts. So any quarterback that has a decent chunk of sample size in the fourth quarter, over the last, how many years is that? 04, 14, 27 years? Two has the highest passer rating of any ever other quarterbacks ever played in that stretch in the fourth quarter with minimum 90 attempts. It's 111.6. It's an eight yards per attempt average, and his ANY average which is any play that includes sacks and passes, 7.9 yards per play in the fourth quarter when two was under center and taking snaps to th throw the football or to scramble. 78.5% completion, seven touchdowns, three picks, and just three sacks on 118 plays for negative 20 yards. So that's why your, your any average play yards per play comes up like that. Not a bad stat to hang your hat on there. Fourth quarter production, that's where games are won and lost. On the other side of the ball, there are some signs of progress as well, like the trajectory of Christian Wilkins' career. A durable, dependable, versatile defensive lineman who plays as hard as anybody in the league and creates chances for his teammates. Now, the counting stats, which I'm not crazy about using those without context, but contextually it matches the film. The counting stats are now there too to match up what he's been doing for this team for three years now. So I asked Josh Boyer, what difference in his game do you see that has caused the uptick in the statistical production for Christian Wilkins. Here's coach. Well, I think Christian's always played with great effort. I, I think it, it starts with that. And uh, I think he's doing, uh, you know, a good job of working on his fundamentals and his techniques to put himself in position to make plays. And then when he does, and when he has opportunities, he, he's been able to make those plays. So I think that's kind of a byproduct of, of him knowing and understanding the system a little bit better. 
him knowing and understanding his uh, techniques and fundamentals a little bit better. And, you know, and also when, when you know those things, you know, when you can take chances that are probably going to be in your favor. And I, I think he, he's, he's done that very well. I have so many takes off of that answer from coach, which was great, by the way, I thought from coach Boyer there, but we talked on the podcast yesterday about the scanning, the social segment about players kind of hitting that second, third and fourth year. And that's when their play begins to really start to take off after, you know, X amount of games, Mike Kosicki, you know, 24 games in his career has a 94 yard game and then starts scoring touchdowns or having 80 yards or like every other week he's doing this after 24 games of, you know, three and four catches for 40 yards on, on average throughout the course of his career. Xavier Howard, midway through 2017, his second year as a pro, just starts picking off everybody and then turns into that for the rest of his career. I don't have to go over them all again. You heard it on yesterday's podcast. You've heard it several times from me. But what does that tell you? I mean, what is Peyton Manning on the Peyton and Eli broadcast telling you how much he hates learning a new system because you just don't have that natural reactionary feel to the system to know if I'm looking front side here and I don't have that, the picture I see tells me what I have on the backside and I can get to it without thinking. I can just feel it and let that thing rip. So it works for quarterbacks. You heard coach right there tell, tell you about how it works for defensive tackles. Like when I watch the tape on defensive linemen, I'm always kind of intrigued. Like how, do, like when they fire off the snap, you have to like shock the guy. You have to be able to peek the running back. Like there is so much going on that if you don't play reactionary style football, you have no chance to succeed. And so when you hear him talk about Christian really developing those fundamentals and technique and really trusting in them and them kind of becoming second nature, then he can maybe take a chance on, you know, jumping a gap or whatever the case may be. And I think you're seeing that, that play out. And I think there's so much to learn from that with regards to how guys can progress in their career. And it's evident to me, it's, it's evident that you just need to give guys time sometimes to develop. It's not going to happen overnight when it does great. It's fantastic. A couple guys do it every single year, but it's only a couple guys. But what I'm most concerned about is how their longevity and sustainability and consistency can be not just throughout their rookie contract, but into that second contract, which if they perform and produce and develop the way you want them to, they then earn that. And I think you've seen that with so many players here that it makes me ask the question, why are you so impatient with others? And I'm just talking, you know, kind of opining to the masses out there. Why would you question the development of others when you've seen it work so many times with other guys on the roster here? So that's kind of my thought. And back to the effort of Christian Wilkins, it was evident on the first quarter or on, on a first quarter play in the game on Sunday, screen passes in the NFL or in football in general are said to be defensive ends plays. It measures their motor to get up the field, chase the quarterback only to retrace back outside and then flag down the receiver. Now on this, um, wasn't Calvin Ridley, it was Russell Gage reception. Wilkins retraces outside, then retraces back inside and helps finish off the ball carrier by landing on the pile there after the fact. Or, you know, as he's going down, he puts the last hit there on Russell Gage. And I say defensive ends to make a point that it's even more impressive when a defensive tackle does it. So Christian to get out there and do that. I put the video up on Twitter, so go check it out if you haven't seen it already. But just fantastic hustle effort. Uh, effort play there from Christian Wilkins, which has always been there, but so too now are the counting stats. He has two sacks. He has six QB hits. He has four tackles for loss and 33 total tackles, which pro rates over a 17-game schedule to five sacks, 15 quarterback hits, 10 tackles for loss, 80, 80 total tackles, and all of those numbers would obliterate Wilkins' previous career best marks. 
All right, those are my deep dives. We heard from the Dolphins coordinators today as well, so I want to go ahead and play a few of those highlights before we get out of here, and we'll see if we have time for a post-game show segment for you guys on the backside. Let's go ahead and start here with Josh Boyer. And you guys know I've been impressed with Javon Holland's play, and he's been playing a lot of ball the last couple of weeks, 100% of the snaps the last two weeks. I asked Coach, what's your take on, on rookie Javon Holland? Here's Coach. Yeah, again, I think it starts with uh, Javon from day one. I mean, he, he he's come in, he's worked extremely hard. He loves football. Uh, he loves the process. Uh, he, he's working at, uh, you know, better understanding, um, you know, how he fits in the scheme and the multiple things that he can do. And I think, uh, you know, we're seeing that that growth. And, um, you know, hopefully that, that will continue for us. Um, you know, and um, he definitely has some playmaking ability. And, um, you know, and again, it's, it's our job to try to put him in spots where, where, where he can make those plays. So one more question here for Coach Boyer from yours truly. I wanted to ask him about how you dictate matchups and how you adjust to matchups throughout the course of the game because we saw Kyle Pitts draw multiple different defenders in this game and obviously was the guy that you kind of want to focus on on that Falcons offense to try to minimize what he can do so I asked coach about the process of pre-game matchup determining and then in-game adjustments and how you make those determinations and the process for getting to those determinations so I asked coach here's coach well yeah I mean I I think we're very aware of matchups uh going in and uh you know we always have contingency plans if if it doesn't go the, the way um you know, if it's not going in our favor and, um, you know, again, Atlanta, you know, like Arthur Smith does a great job with his scheme and has, you know, you know, 10 to 12 different personnel groupings where they can move guys all around. So it makes it a little bit hard saying, okay, we're going to put this guy here in this set or this guy in here, because then it can give you a bad matchup somewhere else, uh, that you're not really, um, you know, fired up about, but, uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, Pitts is a good player. He's improving, and, you know, uh, I think I think he has a bright future in this league. Definitely has a bright future. One more question here for Coach Crossman, the Dolphins special teams coordinator, who I asked about the block field goal. Just said, you know, you run this formation all the time, and you don't see a lot of blocks when they happen. I'm just curious from your expertise, because, again, special teams, not my area of expertise, not that any of this is, but definitely less so than offense and defense. Just wanted to ask Coach, educate me. What happened on that play? And just real quick before I play it, I kind of stumbled over the question to him. So I asked him about what you wanted to get accomplished, you didn't get accomplished. You're going to hear him talk about scoring points. So that's my bad for asking the question that way. But here's Coach Crossman. Well, I'll answer it in two parts. Number one, the goal is to score. You know, and the way we teach it, you know, that's the one play in football where its sole purpose is to score points. Uh, every other play has, whether it's, you know, on offense, defense, or, or strengths, or weaknesses to it, or that play is to score points and we didn't get that done. And it was strictly a matter of uh, poor technique. We got to make sure we're sound with our technique and fundamentals in every play. And we didn't get it done there. And uh, we paid the consequence. Yep. You got to go ahead and make those blocks. We're going to kick those field goals and be successful on those particular plays. So good stuff there from the Dolphins coaches, very educational and always will take advantage of the opportunity to talk to those guys, try to learn more football and relay it to you guys here on the drive time podcast. Let's go ahead and get out of here. On this Wednesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Tuned In, 
Wherever you get your podcast from, go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It's all I ask of you on this free podcast to help us grow up those charts and get more exposure to more Dolphins fans out there. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast. Jay Williams' episode is out right now. You can check out the media availabilities on YouTube, the Miami Dolphins channel, and of course, MiamiDolphins.com for my written content and all the other content on this football team. Until next time, fins up. Caroline, daddy's coming home. And guys, I want to pick it right back up where we left off at the end of that last segment there because we were starting to get cranking there and we had to go to the break. But I want to go back into Tua's press conference here because there was so much meat on the bone that we didn't quite cover yet. Juice talked about the big boy league and the idea of all these trade rumors. I mean, here we are. Seth, he talked about a game 13 and he's at the press conference post game after a a gut-wrenching loss and a great performance. And he's talking about outside noise. And and Juice, I don't want to, you know, go into the rumors or anything like that. But I want to ask you about as a player in the big boy league mentality, distractions. Like, where do they actually come into play? Where do they actually start to impact a team or a player? Just from your perspective, can you give us some insight on that? Yeah, well, you know, think about it, man. It's, it's a, I play in a different world when it comes to the outside distractions. You know, when it comes to social media and the Twitter and all that stuff, you know, it wasn't as uh, prevalent when, when I was playing. And, big, you know, that's a big word like mayonnaise, prevalent. Um, <laughs> It's, it's tough. It really is tough. But these guys have to have, but the, you know, thick skin. Because think about it. Tua played at the highest level of football. I can only imagine the pressure he had playing, you know, at Bama, playing for Nick Saban and all the big games he had to play in and all the different situations the guys coming in, the Jalen Hurts being there at one point, you know, and him taking his place. It's all kinds of, op- all, all kinds of times when there's a, a lot of outside noise and a lot of outside pressure. And so when you get to this level, it doesn't change. It's just, it's just ramped up a little bit, but they've been in those situations before. He didn't go to some small college, you know, that's in, you know, central Ohio somewhere, you know. So I, I, I get it. And I think what, what most players should do when they hear the outside noise and it's about them is ramp up their preparation, ramp up their, you know, their, their week of getting ready for a game, and then ramp up their game play. And I think that, too, has done that. The two picks, yeah, they're terrible. Pick last week, whatever or whatever happened last week, you know, not good stuff. But at the same time, though, we, I see I'm, – I'm seeing an impressive tour myself. I, I'm seeing some really good things. But when you make big mistakes, all the other stuff you did does not matter. It really doesn't matter, man. So be a big boy. You know, I, I'm reading stuff right now. Quarterback is not our problem right now. I'm going to tell you that right now. I'll repeat myself. Quarterback is not the Dolphins' problem right now. Up front, we're having some trouble. Defense having trouble making some stops. And wide receivers are not being on the field or not making plays when they get opportunity. Quarterback's not our issue right now. So is today, and Seth, this question posed to you as well. We all want you guys to both weigh in. Is today what you saw last week, what you've seen over the culmination of his 13 starts and where he's grown? And, and I mean, I, I really think the last couple of games we've seen a, a better version of what Tua was last season even coming off that hip injury is what you're seeing and the growth and the trajectory and that you know you talk about big big boy football that fourth quarter is about as big as it gets is that enough for you to say all right let's build around this guy and make it better because there have been breakdowns on the offensive line there's been drop passes on the receiving core the lowest rushing total in the league is this a guy that you look at and say with what he's doing right now if I put better pieces around him and and really give him a chance we can go win a a bunch of football games you're asking me or you're asking asking anybody that wants to jump in I mean, that's, I'd that's like to believe question. that's what it is. That is the magic question. And I feel like that's what they attempted to do coming into this season. But if guys aren't out on the field, yep. 
uh, or guys are underperforming or regressing, then it's hard to truly know what you have. I, c- I couldn't agree more. And that's, that's where Will Fuller having four catches for 26 yards comes big into play. $10 million receiver in the offseason. And this was a free agent craft we looked at. You know, Kenny Galladay's name was in the mix there. Curtis Samuel was a possible option. You wind up with Will Fuller, who, when he's healthy, when he's played in his career, has been one of the best big play receivers and just pure best one-on-one matchup winners in the league. He's not been out there. So I, I just wonder, Juice, like, because what is the rest of the season going to be about it? One and six, I mean, you're still alive technically, but – you know, it's tough for right. fans to get behind the idea of a playoff push. I just want to know what should you be looking at because right now with the quarterback playing the way he did today and, and last week, minus the, you know the mistakes and everything, I, I guess you can't say that. I know, Seth, right. I, I know. Yeah, right. so, it has to be factored into the equation. It definitely, you're right. It does. But it just is that is that something that kind of gives you like okay, this is what I want to see the rest of the way is because if at the end of the day, if all this season gives you is the answer a quarterback, it's not the worst thing in the world, right? Yeah. Well, I think what Tua is doing is he's making a young quarterback. Mistake. He's making young a quarterback that's his age that hasn't played a full season yet, technically, in terms of, you know, the number of games he started, is making those type of mistakes. He's making them late. Um, Like even last week in Jacksonville, you know, big mistake that he made. But at the same time, you know, I feel, to answer the question that you'd ask Big Seth, I think we do have something we can build from here. We, we do have something we can build on here. And you do have to always, 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 if you get you a quarterback you like, you got to start su- surrounding with players and guys that can make him better. You know, he's going to make some guys better. You see some quarterbacks that can make guys better. But you have to put the pieces around him that, you know, that take advantage of his skill set. And I think we're starting to do that. But absent anybody that can get down the field for him, Everything, the field is condensed. It's almost like we're playing in the, in the red zone all the time, you know, the way d- defenses play is because they're not worried about the deep threat because we don't have anybody there. But Tua is better served, and we've talked about it before, on the short passes here and there, deep and dunk, that has happened, and then maybe hopefully take a shot. But who do we have to take a shot with? Well, Waddle, right, in theory. Well, in theory, and, I mean, and, you and think Kisicki that, but we don't, we don't see degree. it in, in, in the play, in the scheme. Right. But it, it, so that's what I was going to ask. Is that scheme? Is that skill set of the guys that are out there? Is that, that Well, Travis you, saw him in training camp. Was Waddle getting deep in training camp? There wasn't much of it. Wasn't much no, deep it, there it, it, was, okay. it was more Jakeem. Uh, even Isaiah Ford was going deep, and okay. Albert Wilson was okay. living deep. So it's what they're asking Waddle him to was, do. was more intermediate. And I thought my thought was they're just not showing this yet. They're going to build that into the rookie's repertoire, right? Yeah. But it hasn't been the case so far. And you also need time, don't you, Juice? You need All a little right, extra time to yeah. get downfield like that? We saw that on Matt Ryan's long you touchdown do. pass. He had all day to survey that thing. Yeah, you do. And a lot of times you go with some type of max protection. But we're so worried about, you know, for one, protecting Tua. Two, we haven't been able to protect anybody. Right. So three, you have to keep it kind of short and sweet at times. And I think that's why, you know, you don't have to, we don't have time for any double moves. All our, even our takeoffs, even the one that Kosicki was, was pretty quick. It wasn't even like yeah. you gave him time to run down the field. So uh, you're right about that. We're, our MO, though, and it's probably going to be this way for a while until we get some guys up there that can protect, is going to be quick game when it comes to passing, you know, or play 100%. action or some way of, of tricking somebody into thinking that it's something else. We're not going to be able to just drop back five, seven-step drop or from, you know, from shotgun two or three more steps back and launch it 56 yards down. Yeah, let me also say this, though. 413 yards, total yards of net offense, right? 413 total yards, and, and he scored 28 points. So at some point you got to stop somebody, too, right? I mean, yeah. this, and particularly That's a team That's that, is, that, that the defense was supposed to be their bread and butter. And you can't give up 30 points a game 
and expect to win a bunch of How games. many yards did you say? 413? That's it, right? 413 total net yards. So last week was 431, and that was the fifth most over the last five years, and they almost matched that again. I would love to know when the last time this team had back-to-back 400-yard <laughs> games. Somebody get Brett on the phone. There's no Somebody doubt about that. Brett so Brett that's, that's something to think about. And Juice, kind of to your point that you talked about, like, building around this guy, I think you have to recognize what he is. You have to appreciate him for what he is, right? You right. talk about the, the, the big moments in the fourth quarter, the quick release, the accuracy, the things that he does well. He showed you he can go off script and run the football today. He, I thought he showed that to you his entire career. But I think you have to recognize that in the current NFL landscape, there are going to be quarterbacks like a Josh Allen, like a Patrick Mahomes, who can whip that thing regardless of how they're standing or where their feet are or what kind of platform they throw from. And they can make impressive highlight throws that wind up on ESPN on social media and gets everybody excited, right? But those plays are like three or four plays a game tops. The real quarterbacks that win in this league, like a Drew Brees or a Matt Ryan for a long time, are guys that can sit back there and recognize the defense, tell you the pre the post-snap rotation based upon the pre-snap read, and make it go. And I think two was very good in that area. So maybe you have to build around him just a smidge more than those physically slightly more talented quarterbacks. But every quarterback in this league has to be supported. Look at Patrick Mahomes in the right. Super Bowl last year. He had His offensive line was wiped out, and he couldn't do a dang thing, Juice. Right, right. I mean, it's all about that. I mean, it's obviously a cliche, but it's the ultimate team sport. You know, so if you got a guy that does some things well, you have to surround him with guys that, that accent what he does and, you know, and, and protect him as well. And I think Tua is coming along. He really is, man. And, you know, unfortunately, he's going to be compared to some other guys in their right. numbers. It's always the way it is. It's like we saw some people comparing Waddle's numbers to Jamar Chase and Pitt's numbers, yeah. you know. It's, it's unfair comparison. I think it's apples to oranges it in is. a lot of it, cases. It here. really is. It really is. And it depends on, you know, the systems you're in and, you know, your quarterback and things like that. But for the most part, Tua is who Tua is, and I think he's going to get better. And if he continues to – all right, we talked about the interceptions. If he continues to be as consistent with his throwing and accurate with his throwing and getting the ball to the guys like he's supposed to, it's going to turn into success. The turnovers are what killed us. Yeah, and and maybe we – you know, if we can start to protect him a little bit better where he's not under duress and you can sit back there in a clean pocket and make those throws, maybe you see less of those mistakes. And I'll tell you what, as I'm sitting here looking at the final team book, guys – I had my little pity party early on, and we focused a lot on that second quarter. And golly, that second quarter is going to haunt me for a long time and the turnovers. But the reality is, like I said, 413 yards of offense, two throws for four touchdowns, almost 300 yards. He has over a 100 quarterback rating, even with the two, the two turnovers. You can't give up 30 points. Wow. You can't do it. So, so, I mean, what more can you – he had 132 right. yards rushing, right? We, the, the, the running offense got killed last week right. because, it, whatever, they had 30-something yards. He had 132 yards rushing, almost 300 yards passing. Maybe stop somebody when you need to stop them. I'm yeah. totally changing my tune. Yeah. Let's throw that whole – you know what I want to do? Can we throw the whole first hour out? Because the more I'm looking I at this – thought it was a great hour. You did it. It was a good hour, but the, the, the reality <laughs> is if you're a young quarterback – can overcome those mistakes, can overcome all that nonsense all week and still stand tall in there and drive you down the field to score twice in the fourth quarter, I think you're getting what you need there. Yeah, like I said, two is not the problem right now. No, I think you're right. I think that's right. He's not the problem right now. You guys talk about, you know, needing to score a lot of points. I'm I'm standing up. I put my big boy diapers on. I like that. You you talk about needing to score points. Next week is going to be a huge test because in a place where we don't win games very often, it's in a place where we get blown out a lot. And this team is difficult. Buffalo Bills on the horizon. I got one more point here before I go to break. And Juice, you mentioned this earlier about Tua being used to this moment in the spotlight and the big stage. I, I can weigh in on this because I once interviewed a former GA at Bama who was there with Tua and Nick Saban leading up to the 2020 draft. 
And he said, going into that 2018 season, after Tua came off the bench and rescued the national championship game, it was a, competi- a quarterback competition with he and Jalen Hurts, right? And Nick Saban, the famous, I'm not going to tell you, so quit asking. During that time, he said every like practice, that. every rep, every meeting, everybody out there knew Tua was the better quarterback, but because of Jalen Hurts' history with the Bama program, that they were going to give him every chance they had, and Tua just answered every every call, every you know bell that he needed to answer. He was there and up for it. So I, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that, and I thought I could give some insight to that as well as far as how he kind of approaches and deals with some of the adversity and just things that come with the football game. So we'll talk more about that on the other side of the, of the show here. 